Hi, I'm Sage. I'm here with Adam, and this is our 11th question. Uh, what RPG experience do you want to have but haven't been able to obtain? 11. We're almost a teenager. Almost a teenager? That's scary. That is, that is pretty scary. So this one is uh, informally the White Whale episode. Looking for those things that you're uh, still hunting for in RPGs. Yeah. And I, I came at this very much from an angle of things that I want RPGs to do for me. Uh, a lot of There's a lot of games out there that I'd kind of love to get around to someday, but uh, more I approach this more as like there, there are things that nobody's quite cracked in RPG design um, that I'm hoping they, they will. Games that you would like to find. Yeah, pretty uh, much. Just, just kind of browsing through Goodwill and happen to find this book that nobody's ever seen before. Yep. Well, I was browsing through Boing Boing and found out about a Native American take on D&D. Not in kind of the more standard, just like... It, it's a more thorough rethinking than just kind of the reskinning that a lot of people do with, you know, oh, it's D&D &D right. in India, it's D&D, &D, etc. This is more the, the things... It's taking that culture and applying that to how you play the game, not just the content of the game. Um, I haven't looked through it yet, uh, but it, I haven't even read the entire article about <laughs> it. Uh, but I was immediately intrigued, and that's actually why I didn't finish reading it, because I was like, i, I got to read this moment, I can focus on it, not like while I'm on the toilet or something. Right. Um, awesome. But yeah, that's the kind of experience that I want to have more often. Right. Uh, is t something something that's drastically different. Yes, and, and something that explains to me a new way of looking at things. And I, I've come across games that have done that from time to time. Like the first time I hit Burning Wheel, really, the, there's I think for a lot of people, the first game that does that is kind of their first RPG. Sure. Like it's often it's seems like this so weird, broadly new thing. Yeah, um, and so that makes a big difference. Uh, and then you maybe hit the first RPG that kind of uh, approaches differently than your original one. So you start out, for me, it was D20 and stuff, and then Burning Wheel was this kind of smack in the head, like, here's a different way to do it. Um, but anyway, my first one, uh, the thing that I'd really like to see... Actually, I, I should start with my runner-up, because it's something I almost put on the list, but then kind of talked myself out of. Um, so I really wanted an RPG that does some of my favorite comics. Uh, but the more I thought about it, the more... So first of all, there's a lot of games that attempt that. There's uh, Marvel Superheroes, there's my game, uh, Powers for Good. Um, there's various DC and Marvel games over the years of varying qualities. Uh, Units and Masterminds, I could probably keep on listing this. Uh, Champions, this can go on pretty much forever. Um, but none of them have quite clicked for me, even the game that I designed. And I, I really want something that does the kind of... Um, classic great superhero stories like i i want stuff that uh hits like crisis on infinite earths and morrison's run on jla uh mark wade's run on jla uh <laughs> all-star superman the, these things that uh some of alan moore's work on superman which is some of his only stuff that i still like uh but the more i thought about it the more i kind of realized that i don't want a game where i play superman like right. superman is not the most interesting He's not presented with the most interesting choices. A lot of uh, my favorite Superman stories are kind of about one the wonder of Superman existing. Uh, and I can't make that happen kind of in the moment if I'm Superman, if I have to like roll to save somebody. Yeah, it's very different as far as... Because like, as an RPG, you're not just kind of consuming art. You're also producing it at the same time. And so it has to be... Like, for a game, it has to be fun to produce and consume. Mm -hmm. And a lot of... Uh, a lot of the wonder and awesome of comics is the consumption primarily. Yep. Right. And, and they're constructed in such a way that the the main characters don't always have the most interesting things going on. But neither do the... Like, there's also this kind of uh, other take on it, that villains are the ones with all the interesting things going on, and the superheroes are versus the status quo, which isn't fit X-Men. But anyway... The, do you think it's... Do you think the story is pretty much inevitable once you start? Um, are you surprised much by these? Uh, the surprises come in kind of that uh, wonder and um, experience aspect of it. Like, Grant Morrison's take on Superman in particular, um, he pretty much takes it as a given that Superman always wins. Uh, like, he has a story where Superman dies and his tombstone says to be continued because it's the only thing you can write on Superman's tombstone. Um, the... The, it's not so much exactly what the ending is because uh, it's a Grant Morrison comic. You kind of know it's the how it gets there and what exactly that means sure. uh, that really defines it. Um, so the, the thing that I realized is that, especially for uh, long-running comics or like entire comic lines like DC or Marvel, what I really kind of want is um, 
microscope. Like, I don't want right. to have to deal with playing as these characters and thinking through how to use my heat vision and whatever. I want to describe, like, okay, here's Crisis on Infinite Earths, uh, and we can add a few scenes under it or whatever. And then the, the great thing is, because it's comics, uh, I think I'd modify microscopes so every so often you shift around all the things you already had. So this is a classic thing where, like, Marvel always needs uh, Captain America to have been defrosted just long enough ago that he's a little out of touch with reality, <laughs> but at this point is getting further and further. Same with Superman. Like, Superman always has to have this connection to the last generation, but how do you do that? Uh, the Justice Society's too old. Anyway, so every once in a while, I think you just re-mess with all your cards and keep going. <laughs> uh, and that made me think that this isn't really one of my white whales. Like, I, I think that solution is as close as I need to it. Like, I don't want to play Superman or Captain America. I, I want to tell stories with my friends of those characters. Yeah, and that gives you the, you know how it's going to end stuff. Mm -hmm. It gives you the, well, what's the most interesting part of the story, and let's talk about that. Um, and only as far as you really care, because Microsoft says, ask a question, and as soon as it's answered, you're done. Yep. So, And, and it provides this wonderful ability to um, compress and decompress. Right. Uh, when I was thinking, trying to think through comics I liked, uh, there's comics that I like that are still in this kind of classic superhero vein, like um, Ultimate Spider-Man. There's an entire issue of that that is Peter, young Peter Parker, because this is kind of early days Spider-Man, and Mary Jane... Uh, discussing being Spider-Man. The entire thing is just talking because it's Brian Michael Bendis, but it's a really great issue and it's where she finally figures out that he's Spider-Man. Uh, but that can take as long as, in another comic, like you blow up entire solar systems and stuff. Right. And in RPG, it's really hard to treat those in a way that feels, both of those feel satisfying because the art provides this extra bandwidth. Like, right. uh, when in uh, the recent Infinity crossover entire galaxies get blown up, they do the art in such a way that that feels big uh, but you can still do it in a page. Right. Um, so anyway, that's that's my runner-up. Um, let, let's do your number three so I don't talk forever. <laughs> uh, well, I took, instead of games, I have uh, very much more vague style experiences. So mm -hmm. so my big one is I want to play as a non-GM role. Uh, this is one of the reasons I really like Microscope, because <laughs> I can play as a non-GM, uh, even though I'm effectively GMing. Um, but, You're you know, facilitating. Right. Uh, I am the person in the group that learns the new games. And because I am the person that learns the new games, I'm generally the person teaching. Mm -hmm. And when you're teaching, you might as well be GM because it's hard to teach somebody to be a GM. Yes. Uh, so I would love to play and actually uh, just be able to explore the world. So this is like take two of our attempt at episode 11 where we had this nice long conversation. So we will try to represent a bit of it here. Uh, but a big part of this is about being the host and the guest. Oh, yeah, that was good. I'm glad you brought that up, because I forgot we talked about that in the original recording. And uh, it's, yeah, that was really good. Remembering the stuff that I felt smart about and forgetting all the things that I thought I said terribly. Um, but, yeah, so, like, it's it's really exhausting to always be host. Mm -hmm. And uh, being a guest would be a much better time. Well, and the I think there's an important thing that this analogy brings out for me. I've been I, I don't like how kind of uh, focused on GMing the RPG scene is. Like there there's all this celebration of great GMs, but there's nothing for like I, I know some people who don't want to GM probably wouldn't be very good at GMing, but I always want to play with them because they bring a lot as a player. Right. And in that same kind of way, there's some people that I love having over. They're really great guests. They'll they'll bring food and stuff. But I don't really want to go to their place. Like yeah. they, they're not great hosts. And they're different skill sets. They're different sure. skill sets. Uh, there are people who are amazing players and so so at best GMs. <laughs> um, yeah, I, and so for you, the it the difference in being a player is partially about getting to use that extra skill set, but also time. Is that our effort kind of? Well, not not so much effort. I mean, the way that I GM, I'm super highly improvisational mm -hmm. uh, as a GM. So I go in with prep that is practically non-existent. Um, my prep for... So I've run uh, a ton of convention Dungeon World. And my prep for convention Dungeon World is I print out the playbooks. And that is the extent of my prep. Yeah. Um, and then I'm you, not the only one. <laughs> right? You, you show up and you've got your group. And you go, okay, what sounds cool? Uh, and let's just go. Yep. Right? And, uh, you know, a lot of... A lot of the games that I like a ton put enough setting background in your character sheet that just introducing your character 
gives you that what sounds cool. So I don't even have to run that as the GM. So somebody has the Ranger and they're like, I'm from the Great Plains region where we ride, blah, and then immediately off. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I... I often come to games with about that much. Sometimes I come with like a hair more. This kind of like, I just watched uh, this movie and it looked really cool. Let's do something that's a bit more like everything is kind of... Uh, I'm trying to think of a movie that would fit with Dungeon Roll that I watched. Recently. But, you know, <laughs> uh, I watched Ex Machina. Let's do a sci-fi game that has that kind of feel. and yeah, Or yeah. Jurassic Park. Yeah, but I mean... And so, so it's just kind of a really heavy... Um, improvisational say yes kind of approach to GMing, uh, which is exhausting, mm-hmm. um, but tons of fun. Just uh, sometimes you don't want to have to do that. So it's, it would be nice to be the player and be able to just kind of exist in that world and play with that world. Yep. Uh, the interesting thing for me, as far as being the GM in particular, is that uh, it, it takes on a larger feeling of out of game time that's needed even when I'm this highly improvisational I'm still often like the person who gets everybody together or uh, your time is kind of tied to everybody else's time so if you have that player who does want to spend a lot of time outside of the game you know filling in details they're going to come to you and say oh so how about like what's up with the people back in the plains where we ride whatever creature you're about to say Um, (laughs) and then as the GM you're kind of drawn into that and it it wears me down a little bit. Uh, we've both played games at work where we work at the same place, we play games at lunch, and I think the thing that often slows down those games the most is that uh, when I'm jamming them at least, sometimes it gets to be kind of the, the one time of day that we can fit everybody in, and I just don't quite feel like it. Like right. they're, I've got other things going on. and uh, Scheduled gaming. Definitely. Yeah, and I mean, as an adult, I think scheduled gaming is pretty much what you get for the most part. <laughs> yep. Life... Life as an adult. That's part of, uh, for me, actually, the draw of conventions. Like, yeah. conventions have become, as, as my life has become more and more real life, <laughs> uh, the conventions are this time where all of a sudden I don't have to worry about, you know, oh, I could be doing this other thing, or I want to be gaming, but I'm tired, or, right. I mean, I'm tired at conventions, but at least it's the fun tired. Yeah, and you've you've gotten yourself in the mindset for, you know, this is going to be some big thing. Yep. Um, no, I love I love playing convention games. I think uh, the last few times I've run games on demand, I've scheduled myself for like at least a session every day, maybe mm-hmm. two, and then I've stayed in the room and played games. Yeah, the rest of the time because I mean it's just good time. But yeah, so it's it's I think more than the prep, it's that you can't really just passively listen mm-hmm. uh, as as a GM. So you can, you can, you are definitely listening because you have to be able to respond to everybody's ideas and thoughts and and what they're saying. Um, But as a player, you can say, whoa, that's really cool what you just did. And Mm -hmm. I don't have to respond to it. I don't have to think about it in the bigger picture or anything. But as the GM, you go, well, what kind of ramifications does that have off screen? And, you know, what names do I need to come up with on the fly because of that? And that's actually a really good point. I think part of why I find, I mean, uh, takes more effort. It's just that the, the there is less downtime in the session. Right. I'm actually a big proponent of like if people if somebody pulls out their cell phone or something that's not actually a like it's a problem if it starts interfering with elements of play. But some people some people especially as GMs get all bent out of shape just about the fact that somebody did something other than listen when they weren't directly involved. And I'm actually really cool with that in a lot of ways. Like right. as a player, you're Sometimes you are more the audience, and sometimes the audience of things like you just want to check Twitter really fast or talk about something cool that just happened in the game, and that's that's not wrong, right? But as a GM, you you rarely have those moments. Like, yeah, if you as stop, a GM, hold on, I'm going to check Twitter. You guys go ahead and talk for a while. Yeah. Although if the group, this is I love playing with groups that like going really deep on planning, mm-hmm. um, but this doesn't work as well in Apocalypse World games because you really are not supposed to give them enough time. Um, but I, I when, would disagree with that slightly, but keep going. In a lot of situations. Well, you know, you know, they're about to bust down the door. It's a bit more of a fluid action. I'd agree with that. Yeah, and then you go, okay, so while you guys plan for the next half hour, I'm going to go yeah. get lunch or whatever. Um, but if I'm playing Dungeon World, I'm like, okay, so how long have you been taking planning? <laughs> Who's... 
who's listening to you? Are you talking out loud? Uh, what's yep. going on here, right? Well, and the... Um, yeah, the, so I, I agree with this one. Being a player is kind of one of my... Uh, but for me, it's a bit less of a white whale because I get to be a player a little bit Right, you're playing in the Night Witches game. Uh, yeah, we actually just uh, tied up our Night Witches game. We had a great time, but we kind of uh, felt that instead of playing the entire war, we'd kind of we'd kind of found how much we wanted to play. Sure. Uh, and so we went back to our amazing Apocalypse World Dark Ages game, where I'm also a player. Right. Uh, but it still is the same thing, and it's so much easier for me to be uh, like really gung-ho about gaming, because we do it middle of the week, in the evening... And sometimes if uh, I'm GMing, by that point, I'm just kind of like, I, I want to so do this, done. but yeah. I also don't. Yeah, it's really weird. It, like, talking about being a GM and having it be kind of on a different plane of RPGs, uh, it's weird that more groups don't, well, maybe it's just us, I guess, more groups don't straight up rotate yeah. more often. Um, and it just, it seems to not be a very common thing. Like, uh, the closest I've got to it is, well, I'm going to GM for this relatively large campaign, and then we'll swap. Or I'm going to GM for this game, and then we'll swap. Yeah. Um, probably the closest I've gotten to rotating is, here we'll do a side quest, which has practically no relation to whatever's really going on, and you GM the side quest. Yep. Um, which is not very satisfying. Yeah, and it's interesting because I we do we generally don't... Rotates GM, rotate GMs for the same game, but we rotate games fairly often. Um, we, we tend to fall into longer games some of the time, but uh, the the rotation thing, we, we've never tried to push a rotation, because it GMing is, it's kind of like hosting. You don't invite yourself over to someplace right. somebody's house, uh, for the most part. Um, and it's another great use of that analogy. The the if you're GMing, like maybe you kind of push the person, like, oh, I really like that game that you ran, like I really like that party you threw, uh, but you don't say, like, I'm just coming over to your place. <laughs> Although sometimes you sometimes do, and sometimes that's really nice, right? Sometimes you go, hey, can I come over? And the person's like, yes, please. Yep, I would love that. Um, and, and it's, it's a weird situation. It's a degree of familiarity also, right? right? There's per, There are people who I'm completely fine with them inviting themselves over to my house. That, that's 100% cool. <laughs> but you also, like, not everybody can do that. Right. Just like your favorite GM, your favorite player, it's like, oh yeah, that'd be awesome. So, so my number three is uh, I want a game that, or an experience, like a group, whatever, that uh, really does... Um, the unexpected, uh, the odd, kind of. Um, so this is a thing that I, I have a really hard time articulating, but there are some like works of literature and TV shows and comics and stuff that just have such completely out-of-the-box ideas in them that just go a mile a minute that I love these like big ideas being thrown around and stuff. Um, but... It's hard, like it's hard to promote that with people. A few people can do that to begin with, right? And then to to have that kind of experience in play. So some of the things that I'm thinking of here are like the um, to go back to Grant Morrison's comics. He does all these crazy mile a minute, like uh, the seven intertwined stories that all lead to one connected thing, but they never actually cross. Um, so another the, great microscope type deal. Yep. Uh, his Doom Patrol run, where like they a guy with the power of muscle mental muscles or something like that uh, flexes the pentagon round um, among other things like they're <laughs> way out there yeah, type and, stuff and then some of Kirby's stuff like uh, OMAC this one one man army corps out of kind of nowhere like there's not really any explanation of that it's just uh, and like the print of friends and stuff out of that comic um, I want an experience a bit like that in a game where uh, it feels Weird, but with uh, kind of a unifying vision to it. Like, those things aren't just, like, these people rolled up random events. It, it's not quite that level of random. But it just feels so much like uh, a trip through somebody else's head. And I, I don't know that, how to find that in an RPG experience. Um, and it might be just finding the right person. Maybe some GMs are just that great. I think play-by-email tends that direction more. Mm. Uh, one of the big things about about playing live is you have this very high pressure improv situation and high pressure improv tends towards cliche yeah uh, which is why there's this big emphasis on say yes because if you are not allowed to say no you can't 
fall back on a cliche. You have to go forward with whatever insane thing is going on. Mm -hmm. But if you're playing by email, you have a few minutes, and you can think of the first thing and go, well, that's really cliche, and then you can think of something else and write it down. Um, it doesn't always work that way, but yep. a lot of the times. And even with games that, ha like for, for going back to face-to-face, -to -face, even games yeah. with lots of random tables, there tends to be a bit of kind of the, like we've seen most of the results. Right. Um, and finding the right speed at which to do them is another big thing. Right. Uh, so we've played Dungeon Crawl Classics together, and uh, I think the game, like, the game in its best moments was hitting almost this level of just kind of weirdness. Like, you roll a random spell effect, and it turns out that this time it's going to be snakes that pop out of your fingers. Or, you know, you let's see what ha thing happens when you get too close to the crazy mutating magic. Um, yeah. And it feels that kind of like, oh my gosh, this is so weird and so wonderful. Uh, but that game, at least for us, we had once we hit level one... We got way less of that because uh, the adventures that we were running had the um, Sailors on the Starless Sea has a bunch of great opportunities for rolling random things, uh, and some of the later adventures don't as much. And the game really it relies on that, I think. Um, and there, so the possible solution to this that I, I have yet to play, but I'll mention, is a game called Into the Odd, which is kind of a retro retro clone um, for more of a hex crawl thing. But it comes with a lot of random tables in the book that are kind of they're kind of your adventure, they're kind of your world, um, and most of them are for exploration, basically, mm -hmm. which turns that element of randomness into something that uh, kind of self-regulates. Right. Like when you come across this amazingly interesting thing, you're there longer. But then if you're getting kind of like weird results, then people are going to forge on through them. Um, and it has this great opportunity that kind of like reading one of these odd books, you could come across a new, it, like, he could put out a new set of random tables. Right. That gives you that sense of like, oh my gosh, this is weird stuff I've never thought of. I think there's a really fine line there uh, that you have to make sure that not every result is weird. Yeah. Like, you have to have the straight man to make the funny person funny. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, the random tables that I've seen that I feel like work best is either um, they come out seldom... And when they come out, it's, oh my gosh, what happened? Yep. Or uh, stuff like the traveler tables or the random spell effect tables, which are a whole bunch of these are really normal. Yep. Uh, and it's like, oh yeah, you hardly notice it. And then every so often you come across the world where everything's just about absolute zero. And you're like, what in the world is going on? Yeah, and you get the, the random spell result that like your body swaps out for somebody else's. Right, or, or suddenly we've summoned a demon, right? Yep. Um, that kind of stuff is awesome, but if it happens every time, suddenly it's normal. It's over the top, yeah. yeah. And it, the the chart itself, the problem is you need to balance the number of odd things with the number of mundane things, but you also don't want too many duplicates. And right. the larger the number, the, the basically the higher the odds that just through random chance you end up on all the weird ones in a row. Right. Uh, you know, if you have ten things, it's a one in ten chance to hit the one odd one, but you're hitting all, each of those things more often. Uh, so that that's where I think that um, I'm hoping that Into the Odd will have kind of these supplementary, like, adventure area table things uh, that would keep the the great ratio of odd stuff happening, but bring, the, bring it along at the right intervals. Right. And there's games that do it really well that don't have to have random tables, which is probably the most flexible and least amount of work. Yeah. Um, like Durant's, Jason Morningstar's Durant's, has a way where you are constructing, you know, your initial setting, your colony and, and planet and stuff. And it is built from everybody's ideas smashed together in a very kind of structured way. So you can end up with something really weird, but nobody in, in individually is required to come up with mm -hmm. something really weird. Um, uh, yeah, that hits some of that itch, but I uh, sometimes it, I still see too much of myself in things like that, you know, yeah. because the, the way that things mash, mash together, every then generally you talk about it. You have right. like this weird set of, you know, oh, we know this, this, and this about the planet, and then we all talk about how those things work together, and it stops, it, it starts to feel less uh, weird and out there and... Uh, awesomely creative because we all figured out how we got there right and i think this is actually some of the the trick to um as a 
GM like creating things is that knowing that just because it comes from your head, it it's going to be interesting to right. other people. Like that that isn't what they would have thought of. Yeah, that's the best thing about RPGs is getting crazy things out of other people's heads. Yep. Um, the nice thing about random tables too is you know that this you know it's it's kind of a safe thing. Uh, you know that the GM isn't biased in what they're saying. You know that it's not coming from a TV show that this person watched just yesterday. You know, you know that it's coming from someplace weird uh, that's external to the group, and that's just nice. And just the the element of randomness about it helps reinforce that this isn't right. just all our ideas mashed together. This is, uh, you know, the universe, the the probability of whatever speaking. Uh, yeah. yeah, some kind of seed for creativity. Yep, totally. Okay, what's your number two? Numero dos, uh, play something serious. Oh. Uh, so, Clay that Woke in particular, mm-hmm. um, but other games that I would really like to go hardcore, serious slash philosophical. Like, I would like to play uh, a burning wheel game where we're going, like, no jokes, fantasy, dark fantasy or something. Yeah. Um, the problem with, you know... Again, the problem with an improv game is that you tend funny a lot of the times mm-hmm. because it's simpler and uh, less vulnerable to be funny than it is to be serious about something. But, you know, sometimes that's just not the tone that yep. I want to play. And so are you thinking the both the player experience and the characters are serious? Or, like, could this be, like, dark uh, fantasy, but we as the players are kind of... A little removed from that. We as the players are kind of a little removed from that, but not a um, laughing at how hilariously funny the dark. Okay. Right? Not super over the tar- top dark type stuff, but, yeah. you know, uh, every so often it's funny how how sad life is or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Some kind of philosophical discussion. That's interesting. That, and so are you thinking... So philosophical. For, that's uh, that's so a big... So for a Clay That Woke game, uh-huh. having it not descend into just kind of talking about totally nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a Burning Wheel game, have it be, you know, we are serious about this goal or whatever. And not half the game being, isn't it funny that this person has a pole arm type yeah. of stuff. Uh, because, you know, it's really not... <laughs> It's not funny that they have a ball. No. Uh, so, we, yeah, Burning Wheel is actually kind of bad for that. One of our first games, we had somebody with uh, the thousand-yard stare trait, which made... And you're like, this should be a serious thing. Yep. But it was great because he would role-play it. So the GM would turn to him and start saying, like, what's happening? And he would just stare right <laughs> past the GM's head. Uh, and you know the the GM was like, yeah, okay, that's that's what your character does. Good See, to know. And you can't you can't have a serious discussion about like PTSD when it's this kind of game. Yep. So. I I can only commiserate with this one a little bit. I got to be honest. Like I, it's not I, like something I want all the time, right? But yeah. But every so often, it would be nice to have a game like that. Yeah, and, and I can agree with that. I. One of the things that uh, almost ended up on my list was um, The Wire, like uh, the the serious crime drama that moves kind of deliberately slowly, but I don't know that that's something that I want to play. Like, I, I love the idea that games can do multiple things, but... Well, this is why it just doesn't happen, right? Because yeah. you know, very most people don't want to, mm-hmm. um, or or a dread game, for instance, that was actually scary. Yeah, uh, I have done dread actually scary, and when you hit the scariest parts, people start laughing out of you know just trying to get out of that, and once that starts, you it's over. Yep, no more scary. Yeah, so. well, and. Uh, there, especially dread. It has that wonderful tension, but the actual scariness is is almost undermined by the Jenga set in a way. Like we're sitting here with a kids' game. Uh, like, I've got a dark. I've got a black Jenga set. <laughs> we play in the dark, and it's great. Um, that that would certainly help. It, but it still it has the same kind of. Um, you are around a group of people. Maybe you're not super comfortable. Uh, you're not feel you don't want to feel vulnerable, and talking about anything that's legitimately real feels mm-hmm. vulnerable. So, well, to a degree, I think this is uh, 
at the risk of going way beyond the scope of this podcast, it's somewhat like a societal thing. Like, right. I there's not many people that I sit around and talk about serious stuff with uh, in a way that we're that involved with. Like, we'll talk about something serious, but with, uh, you know, like uh, racism or sexism or stuff. But you, it's rarely in that kind of, like, personal felt experience kind of way. It's often right. in the kind of, like, can you believe that they did this and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, big rant type yeah. discussion and, and we can all rant together but right but but you're not going to say something that you feel like the other person's going to actively disagree with you about those kind of subjects yeah because it becomes too touchy and it's like well you know avoid religion and politics in discussion right mm-hmm. um but sometimes sometimes you should have those discussions just to think about the thing yeah yeah i think that that game would be really interesting uh nobody but... would buy it <laughs> nobody would buy it nobody would play it it would this, this is the problem. There are a few games that have kind of pushed that. I mean, that yeah. that was, to some degree, always the, at least the pitch for a lot of the World of Darkness games, is that, you know, this was something where you would seriously look at the uh, the experience of being a vampire and, like, the darkness within the human soul and... Yeah, yeah but I'm talking about seriously looking at these things and not, I am going to descend into my inner madness, uh, which... You know, I don't know. Maybe maybe for the right age group. I think, yeah, for some people, Vampire did come off as doing that. Like, I, I think that for some people it definitely clicked. Sure. Uh, we always had more of, like, Vampire was trench coat superheroes, basically. Um, which I think is actually much more served by everything in the game. The game functions much better for that. <laughs> uh, but I, I think that some people have that experience. Uh, and I think that part of it is... Uh, you have to want it enough. You don't want it enough, Adam. Uh, like <laughs> the group. The, that's the big problem. Is the group has to want it. Enough. Yeah. You can't have one person. You can't have one person in the group at all, uh, and everybody else doesn't care. They're never going to get a serious conversation. And if you have two people, uh, then they can have a serious conversation, but not with anybody else, and yeah. everybody else will derail it. Um, I think the closest I've gotten to something like this is um, Burning Wheel, kind of really pushing you towards giving people something that conflicts with what they believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if they don't write it on their character sheet, something that they obviously as a person believe. Yeah. Um, and really pushing them to make that hard decision and then pushing even harder on that hard decision. Mm-hmm. And that's probably the closest that I've gotten to this kind of serious conversation. Yeah, that's that's part of what Burning Wheel is great for. Uh, it's also great with Thousand Yard Stairs. <laughs> Burning Wheel is just great. Yeah. Yeah, for my group, we... I've realized that this is so much of our desired play style that I, I'm not too interested in going beyond it. We uh, play characters fairly seriously, but with a lot of humorous table talk. Like, right. we we have this level of remove because we're the players, not the characters. Um, but we, our characters often kind of go through the ringer and, well, we, if it was a TV show, it would be like Breaking Bad or something. Like, yeah, there, there's this character... Uh, pain and seriousness to it but there's some of it that especially as the audience you can laugh at and some of it even character you can laugh at like the we we have plenty of the kind of pizza on the roof moments which in breaking bad is important and serious and for everybody else it's a joke and now that poorhouse in albuquerque apparently had to ask people to stop throwing pizzas on the roof um yeah i think i think that's probably next best thing yeah right that's i like it a lot so the funny thing is, my number two is the opposite of yours. Uh, I want a game that is comedy through and through. Right. Uh, the For me, that particular type of comedy would be Futurama. Like, I, I love uh, Futurama as a series. It has some of those great emotional moments, but it's absolutely hilarious. Uh, and recently I've been rewatching it for the... I don't even... I can't even <laughs> count how many times. Um, and that is such a hard thing to bring to gaming. Like, oh, yeah. People, you can't tell people to be funny. Good good jokes take a lot of work. Yeah. Good jokes take a whole lot of work. It's like a good comic, right? Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of setup. There's a lot of thinking about exactly how you want to word it. There's a, a lot of thinking about timing and, and, you know, how long do you pause and all this kind of stuff. And people in general are not very good at it. And, and people who can kind of improvise jokes or improvise comedy are usually doing more of kind of an observational comedy right. or like a, a little play on words or something um, 
making up a funny story on the spot is really tough. And then what what choices do the characters actually have? Right. Like the you want funny things to happen, uh, and you can't like roll for funny or something like that. Uh, it, it's <laughs> everybody's supposed to laugh now. I got a 27, <laughs> 27 on my funny roll. My skill is super high here. Yeah, it's it's a really tough thing. And the game that comes closest to this is uh, Inspectors um, by Jared Sorensen. Uh, that you're you're kind of a, a startup Ghostbusters. Uh, you're there's a franchise element to it, so it's kind of like the Ghostbusters got started, and you're setting up a new office in whatever city, uh, and you're both kind of running the business and tracking all these things. But you're also uh, on a reality TV show. Filming this, how your startup works, uh, and you use that as an element of play. Like the char- the players can actually turn to each other and a- do the character confessional thing, where you face the camera in this case the other players and explain everything that's happening. And some people who get really into it will actually set up like a separate chair, you just sit down <laughs> in that chair, do your confessional. Um, and it's it's there's a degree of investigation to it, but the way to really make that investigation happen most efficiently is to, about halfway through, ask all the players what they think is happening, and they're just going to go with that, because the investigation isn't the point. Right. Um, it's funny, because it does the... The comedy is... A lot of it is from the setup. Like, there's so many things there that let people uh, think about, like, their lives and repeat funny stories that they know from uh, their life, and the dice rolls have a few kind of unexpected outcome things. Right. Um, I, I think that the kind of seven to nine outcome from Apocalypse World is in some ways the root of comedy. Like, you want those, like, uh, the middle thing, the never quite getting what you want, um, and Inspector says that pretty well. I think it plays the straight man to the characters, right? Yeah. The The game is, like, while the subject is a little funny, the game plays the subject seriously. It's like, okay, here's the situation. It's a legitimate situation. This is actually what's going on. Mm-hmm. You are funny within those confines, right? And constraints breed creativity and all this kind of stuff. Um, which, which means that you're allowed to just kind of push those boundaries and you're allowed to pull on anything that you know about within that space. One of the worries that I would have with that game is um, people... So something that I don't find funny anymore is uh, straight references mm-hmm. to stuff. Yeah. Uh, like, people especially, you know, play D&D and people pull up Monty Python references. And it's yeah. like, okay, so that that is funny because Monty Python is funny. Um, but it has nothing to do with this game. It... it you know, it made me it made me laugh because I remember watching the movie. It didn't make me laugh because it was relevant or useful or And that's the thing. Like lots of people aren't funny. That's why the people who are so special. Uh, there was a an episode I think of This American Life where they uh went to a meeting for the onion where they were kind of with stories and uh if I remember the description the description correctly, they were saying that it was uh like really unfunny listening to all <laughs> yeah. these ideas we pitched. And uh, the few that seemed funny were all ones that everybody shot down. And these ones that seemed unfunny went all the way to production and then were awesome. Uh, there, there's, it, It's not something that is very conductive to doing in the moment. Um, no. but, if, but if the point is um, to make it so that somebody, uh, so that you can laugh at the situation and that you can laugh at the hilarious things that are happening, yeah. setting up a situation that is just right on the edge of strange... And then letting the players push it over that edge is probably the best way to go. Well, yeah, Inspectors, it gives you so many uh, touchstones to things that you know that you can go with. Like a well-known genre of kind of ghost hunting, uh, all of your reality TV show tropes, and office jobs. Right. Uh, Like, those are things that are very commonly known and everybody can kind of riff on. Right. Whereas if I actually wanted the Futurama RPG, like, that... The, the world is so flexible, the world is so weird, there's, everybody has to come up with this humor kind of out of nowhere. Yes. And it's not like in Inspectors you're saying, okay, go over there to that chair and tell us a joke. Yeah. Right? You're just saying, okay, say what's going on. And I, th- I would bet that even in the most simple cases, just saying what's going on is probably funny. Yep. Because stopping and looking at things is often funny. Yep. Uh, when somebody's trying to tell you what's happening. And especially when it's, you know, the startup and somebody just got covered with slime or goo or whatever. Uh, and the cool thing about the confessional aspect of it is it 
gets people who often role play more from kind of a third person perspective, uh, like me, a really f- comfortable way to do a first person thing. Sure. Because all of a sudden I don't have to like dialogue with somebody. I don't have to do like a crazy dwarf accent or something. Because you understand that this is the camera for the uh, reality show. Totally. In, in some ways, I just have to be myself with like a slight angle of my character and talk about what's going on. And uh, like in in some ways, it's what people are used to doing. Like you get home from your or you go out for beers with your coworkers after work, and you kind of crack jokes about what's going on. Like this is a skill that lots of people have. Right. Uh, and the game leverages that to make it funny. The the thing that uh, one of my favorite GMs is fond of saying about funny stuff in games is that you never try for it. Um, so he had uh, he ran a game for us, uh, Reign of Steel, which is a GURPS setting, um, kind of Terminator future, like you're in the the rise of the machines, um, and this killer robot comes after us and uh, has the ability to smell people, and he just says in his best deadpan robot voice, "I can smell you." And in the moment, that is absolutely hilarious. We all cracked up, uh, but he wasn't aiming for comedy. This wasn't supposed to be a joke about, like, if the robot didn't have a huge, funny nose and furry eyebrows or something. It was just plain everything straight, and at some point, everybody cracks with that. Uh, But if you're aiming for comedy, it wasn't a comedic game. Like, you can have comedic moments that way, but you can't quite have a full game. Well, it's like like the tell-me-about-your-character problem in general, right? Stuff that happens during the game is going to be hilarious to people there, but it's not... It's not that telling the story, no matter how many details you have, is going to be hilarious. It's just the combination of hanging out with people you like and and playing a game and generally being pretty good and everything's feeling all right. And then somebody says something that maybe is just a little bit funny and you're like, that's hilarious. I've read this book about role-playing games, which I cannot recommend. It's horrible, but it was this guy (laughs) trying to do like a scholarly study, Um, despite this being from like the... 80s maybe he only played D&D it was almost entirely about a single long running campaign of D&D he played there was Scholarly no like massive scare quotes yeah yeah there was no kind of like looking at primary sources or talking to other gamers he was just trying to dissect his own experience in this ridiculously complex way but the one thing that stuck with me about that is this idea of um, a carnival atmosphere like games RPGs in particular give us this permission to relax and this, this isn't serious they they kind of say despite some games saying right. that <laughs> um but like for the most part we sit down and we kind of you know the the stakes are low here this is just for fun uh and this is part of why games succeed because they give us this feeling of uh ease and to a degree like an inversion like the um playing games with people kind of brings everybody in on the same level and uh the the atmosphere that brings I think is conducive to comedy in just about all gaming experiences sure it's a nice thing about games in general yeah Um, like I'm super introverted which is why I like playing games with other people because having a game in between me and them means that I can kind of mediate interaction Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes this works better than others I think a lot of it depends on the game like if you're playing diplomacy diplomacy works horrible uh, at mediating interaction because you always end up hating the other people or Often, I guess. <laughs> uh, it's it's a very interesting situation with games in general. So, yeah, RPGs for sure. Because you get to, okay, I'm going to be this person for a while. Yeah. Or at least pay attention to this person for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, which is cool. So what's your number one? Numero uno. Some kind of epic, deep, understanding campaign type of thing. So so a not a... long game. Not a, not a let's play the same game for ten years, but... Play a game long enough so that you actually understand it down to the point where you're pretty much never referencing the rules, even as the GM. You have a ton of understanding about the campaign world that you're playing in for whatever reason. Uh, You've got a lot of background and history with all the other characters, this Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Um, And in particular, finishing such a campaign. Yeah. Because a lot of... If a campaign starts and you're trying to be epic, uh, it's, you know, the, the ending is too far off and... People are busy. Yep. Uh, and if your campaign starts not epic, uh, then you have you start with very little support to get you to anywhere, right? Yeah, the it's a kind of rolling the dice because you can't guarantee where you're going from the beginning in, in any game, really. And 
So, so what is the appeal there? Like, is the appeal there is having that kind of shared history? Mm. Um, so, like, you know, doing anything for a long time with the same people is awesome. Uh, you know, working on the same team with somebody for four years, and you're like, oh, I know who this person is. I know how they work. I know how they code. I can go to them for this project or whatever. Um, working on uh, you know, some kind of large artistic project is similar. Working on uh, even just like, you know, I guess the smallest form of this, uh, I'm a jazz trained musician, mm -hmm. and jamming with a band is amazing um, because you start. And you all improvise. You all improvise together, and you work your way through this through this piece until everybody feels pretty good about it. And for however you know you can coordinate, it's a weird type of thing. <laughs> uh, you bring it to a close and end, and it's this hugely satisfying experience. Um, and you get, I mean, like get a Miles Davis record, and they'll do an improv for 10, 20, 30 minutes, mm -hmm. uh, or a lot of the old funk stuff will just be long form improv. It's hugely fun, and it starts and it ends, and there's an experience there, and I love that kind of stuff. So how do you know when it's over in the game sense? That's, like, that's the, my big question. I have no idea. I've never <laughs> played such a thing. Uh, I've been trying to work on... Uh, one of the things I'm working on in one of my games is this concept of an absolute kind of an exit point. Uh. Um, so, it, I mean, this term comes from video game design and... and uh, there's a group called Extra Credits that mm -hmm. does video game uh, kind of design videos. And the idea that there are points in the game that feel like you can get up and leave, and that's okay. Yep. Um, like, I've played 12-hour RPG sessions before because uh, the kind of points where you feel like you can get up and leave are small enough and they're cliffhanger enough that you're like, well, we might as well play a few more or, you know, order pizza now so that we can continue playing yeah. type of thing. Uh, but kind of a larger exit point where you say, okay, when this happens, we pretty much have to end of session because mm -hmm. there is this enormous ball of stuff that everybody needs to sit down and think about for a while before we can continue. And having exit points like that uh, mean that you could end your game and feel closure, mm -hmm. which is the other big thing. Like a lot of games... Uh, end like a Neil Stevenson story where you're like, well, this is either an hour too long or uh, <laughs> we need another hour to finish or whatever, right? It's not quite on top of where you want. The, I think the challenge there is that the, the few games that I've had that have really fit this mold, um, most of them, the, the point where we knew it was over, uh, Part of what felt so special about it was how organic it was. Right. Like, you, you have to hide those exit points pretty far down, I think. Um, and, and a lot of the best video games are good at this. You realize that you've gotten to a place where you can uh, stop. Like, even with modern systems where you can stop in the, the second, there are still these feelings of like, oh, I am at a place where I can put down the controller and turn it off, or I could keep going. Um, well, I think the, the biggest problem with RPGs in this situation is the same problem that you have with Minecraft, mm -hmm. right? Uh, where do you stop? You keep building stuff, and you keep exploring stuff, and you keep finding stuff, and you keep getting places. And, you know, even getting to Minecraft's supposed end game of Ender Dragons and stuff is not an end. It's just, here's one more new thing to do, right? Yep. Um, and RPGs are very similar because you keep building stuff and you keep finding stuff. And there's there's more story, right? You don't hit happily ever after moments in RPGs. And that building of stuff, I think, is the, the thing that appeals to me the most about this and the, the few times that we've really had it. Um, like, the, when the game starts to feel like dune or something like when there's the when there's this depth to everything and it's a casual depth like it's not like we have this huge document that explains the entire history of the world but just we have uh so many shared touchstones and so many things that we can easily bring into it um I mean, you can't see right now, but Adam's wearing a, a shirt with a worm on it. Says that I am the Kwisatz Haderach with an earthworm, and that kind of uh, thing that feels both odd, like the the words there 
people look at it and mean nothing, but if you know it, it makes sense. And when a game gets to that point, um, not from something printed in the book, not like, you know, Cleric and Warrior or whatever, right? but from the actual play of the game where now, um, like, the there are places in the the city of, from Warhammer Fantasy of Prague where we played a long game that now have that kind of significance amongst our group. Like, they, they are these... There's these terms and touchstones that matter. And I think maybe the best way to approach this kind of a thing in a, in a game is not to try and do one five-year game, mm-hmm. but to do the kind of thing you were suggesting in our death podcast, yeah. which is, okay, here's a session or a five-session game, and that was in that world, and then we stop. And we have another five-session game that's also in that world in and around those characters. You know, maybe somebody even plays one of those characters, and then we stop. And then doing this kind of, not episodic, but more like, uh, you know, uh, Game of Thrones book one, book two type yeah, of thing. Yeah, the kind of arc. Uh, yeah. And then you could do stopping points and feel like you're ending, yeah. but not have to end, uh, which would be interesting. And I think that the... The books from Game of Thrones are a good example because they are, um, they finish, you're like, I have finished that book, and you feel satisfied, but it also completely says there's more there. Unlike, uh, say, the first Dune novel, where you kind of feel like, wait, they made more? Like, that ending would have felt completely fine. Uh, Yeah. So my last one is in the same vein, uh, in fact, very close to something you were just talking about. Uh, but instead of carrying on um, the same game kind of arc after arc, uh, I want to bring in some of the weirdness I was talking about earlier and play the Grant Morrison metafictional game where we follow some kind of metafictional crisis through different games. Um, so Grant Morrison, for those not familiar, writes comic books that often, uh, like, he's written himself into a comic book. He is now an established character in the DC Universe. Uh, he met one of his characters and talked to him about his dead cat. Like, these are, uh, his most recent big crossover involves a living comic book, a comic about a living comic book that's kind of implied that this comic you're you're reading is the thing in the comic you're reading. Um, and, and all of these kind of crossing overs between uh, fictional and real, and he's he's a really weird guy who believes some of this stuff is true. Uh, but anyway, the I kind of want that where assume that every RPG system is its own world and they're all going on at once and something is uh, cutting across them. Cutting across them in a, a more significant way than the kind of like, I put my D&D character in your Call of Cthulhu game. Like, I, not transplanting characters exactly, but transplanting these like ideas. Um... I've been catching up on Marvel where they've recently had their multiverse collapse or whatever and I kind of imagine it like that like all of our fictional universes are collapsing and that you know in the Call of Cthulhu universe this looks like your standard Cthulhu thing right. except you find out the elder gods are actually trying to stop it because they're trying to save the universe or something like you know they, <laughs> they want a place to live right? Um, and, or stuff like that like you, you do it in a D&D universe and it means that like magic is being weird or something like I, I want that thing that I can indulge my experience, uh, my, my love for trying new systems while still playing the same, the same game. game. Yeah, that was what I was curious about. Was, so you would do, uh, you'd play three sessions uh, Moldvay D&D and discover some crazy thing and then swap system to the other world that's being interfered with this. Oh, yeah, that'd be cool. And, and try to set up, like, there needs to be a few strings pulling across them, but I want to avoid the, like, oh, I need to remake my character in this different system. Right. Um, I think if anything, like, I'd probably put a hard limit on if a character comes across, they're, they're coming across in kind of like a, a vague soul sense, not even, like, intellect and knowledge, but, like, the maybe this would be why the multiverse is collapsing. Maybe there's only so many people and everybody in every world is a reflection of them. <laughs> so that then you can kind of choose your... You, in you're some attached, ways, but you're not the same person. In some ways, then, if we're saying that there's only so many people and they're reflected through all the worlds, then we as the players are those people who are reflected through all the <laughs> worlds. And we're completely into Grant Morrison's metafictional stuff. 
It'd be cool. Um, so yeah, that's my crazy off the wall idea. I, I've thought about trying to kind of retcon that into every game I've ever played, uh, but that's a bit ambitious. Little, little bit. And that's this is going back to the you know play the game for five ten years type of thing, because you'd have to be pretty hardcore about okay, well this new game we're playing, yeah, we're trying this new system and it's a little weird, but uh, we're gonna try and make this work. So. And, and it kind of limits the the systems to the kind of systems that I tend to play with anyway that are a bit more. Um, adventure uh in that like a game of kagematsu right is not gonna not fit here really gonna fit here like it, it would be stretching it so far as to not really be the game anymore right whereas like with great power sorcerer like all those i can see uh like and of course all the superhero games they would be like oh another multiversal crisis geez you could do um, polaris that way oh yeah I'm trying to think of games that you could push really far um Hot War is actually an interesting one. It's uh, kind of a post... Oh, jeez. It's a fantasy Cold War, kind of. Um, but the Hot War element is that things get a little hot. Um, and that would be interesting if some of what's causing all of this weird stuff is that the universe is decaying. It would be interesting to try and plug this idea into every other system. Shock. Shock, yeah. Shock would the be shock is that you like realize there's multiple universes out there, um, and they're escaping into yours, escaping into yours in these weird trickle through ways. But some some games, I feel like it it stretches the like even the adventure ones. Mouse Past Guard. the breaker, breaking point. Yeah. Well, like, I mean, you could do Mouse Guard. Uh, I would I would be up for that. I, I would I would play Mouse Guard as if. Um, the Mouse Guard universe is actually just way bigger. Mm -hmm. And so when, if something came through, it would be mouse size. Yeah. Uh, because I, the scale is just broken. Yeah, and I, I think... Or Cthulhu-style Mouse Guard, which would be all sorts of weird. Yeah. I think that I would try to limit the the actual things coming through. It'd all be like reflections of a thing. So maybe if there's, you know, the the lens that lets you see the next universe over or whatever, it looks one way in this, the far future one. It's some kind of hollow sphere, and in the Mouse Guard one, it's a polished looking glass or whatever. Right. Um, but there, it's the same thing through all these worlds. Uh, the other place that it kind of falls down are games, even that are more action-oriented, but are which try to be a little more grounded. Like, Worldwide Wrestling is going to be a really odd <laughs> fit there. I love the game, but, like, the... What oh, does, when when so much of the game is kind of like no this is this is pretty much normal people well weird normal people uh, right but normalish people yeah like and then you bring in this element uh, anyway but that is kind of my dream game to just keep this weird metafictional thing running through all of them um, madness I I think about it every so often and one of these days I think I'm just going to start doing it with whatever game I'm running. Yeah, just don't say anything. Just don't say anything. Have it going on in the background. You know what's going on. You don't have yep. to say anything. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Uh, that's uh, I think I've mentioned the Cthulhu game that I played over years and years before. Where that's basically what the GM did. There was actually a big thing going on behind all these games. Some of which would occasionally be kind of retroactive, like looking back on it. I mean, like oh, I guess that should be a thing that fits in the larger plot. Right, but. That's basically what he did. And then, oh man, five or so years of... Uh, and he actually... This is pretty much exactly the game you were talking about. We played a lot of individual Call of Cthulhu games with different sets of characters uh, that it turns out were all intertwined and interrelated. Right. But each one was pretty much just a game. Like, yeah. See, I want to I build that into the system. Yeah. Is, I, is, what, is what I want. I want the system to say, look, you're going to play... This many sessions at most, mm -hmm. or maybe even one session, and that's it. Like Undying does something like this, right? Where the between kind sessions of. it for fast forwards a whole bunch. Yeah, yeah. Each session is, uh, and I don't know how I'll phrase this in the text. I've been read over the final text. Uh, each session is kind of when the shit hits the fan for vampires because they're right. they're plotting and scheming over such huge stretches of time that uh, trying to role play that in the way that we normally kind of role play moment to moment is really weird. Right. So instead each session is when all the plans have come to a head and then the kind of between session rules uh, take care of like, oh okay so my character was exiled and he spent all this time building up his own little clan. So so and this is this is the thing that the system could do though, something like that where the session is here's all the crazy stuff going on mm -hmm. and the between session is okay, what 
is the next crazy stuff. And it doesn't even have to move forward in time. It could be full on microscope like, okay, this was a whole bunch of crazy stuff. But before this happened, we know this must have happened. So how did that happen? And yep. then can go back and talk about that kind of stuff. So that's actually the the default pitch for my uh, game, We Will Remain, which used to be called Black Stars Rise, but I, I got tired of that. Um, mostly because Luke Crane compared it, uh, was like, is it a game about Beyonce? And from then on, I couldn't hear it any other way. Uh, so it, it currently called We Will Remain, but um, it's the, the default way that it tells you to run the game is make a bunch of characters, play until those characters are kind of resolved, or whatever weird thing is resolved, um, and then you can keep on playing the same game by going like a different time, a different place, and following the weird other things that are going on in the world that are related to this. Um, and so it, it's basically the Cthulhu game that my friend ran, but it's also kind of the thing that you're asking for. Like, you, you play a few sessions, and then you say, uh, we're done with these characters, uh, Let's do something different, but you're still building that same long game. And that also allows you to do DM rotation. And player rotation. Right. Uh, because how many like the how many times have somebody's schedule changed or somebody right. moves away and comes back and all those things. Madness. Okay. Okay. We're That's building a these lot things. of white whales, yeah. Uh, oh man, I always hope that somebody else will build them. That's kind of my Yeah, idea. if you have built one of these things, please <laughs> let Sager I know. Uh, we would love to play your game. Okay, well, until next time, uh, this is Adam and Sage.